the American Revolutionary War. And each one of these BBs that I have in this cup represent 10,000 people who died. Um, each, each BB does. So for every bucket, I'm going to, to show you how many people died in specific American conflicts. So this is the American Revolutionary War. This is 10,000 lives. Every BB is 10,000 lives. American Revolution. This is American Civil War. Civil War. This is World War II. World War II. And this is abortions in America since 1972. If you want to be accurate, you could count 27 out and you could put them back in one of these cups, but that's all you'd have to remove. Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 139. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, and I want to say a few things at the outset before I preach this sermon. Um, first, every abortion has two victims, the child and the mother. Um, I do not want you to think that I'm going to stand up here this morning and I am going to bash any woman that has ever had an abortion. Um, she's hurting too. Um, that's not what you hear the most often, but it is true. Um, second, I want you to hear that abortion is not the unforgivable sin. Um, that there is grace for that. It is damaging, it is painful, it is evil, but it is not unforgivable. Uh, Christ died for the woman who has had an abortion as well. Um, and third, even though I won't say those two um, things to let you know where my heart is toward those who have had abortions or t towards those who have someone in their family who's had an abortion is I, I do want to be compassionate but I do want to speak about abortion um, for what it is 
um, which is an evil that has to be addressed head on. Um, three assertions of uh, those who are pro-abortion. Um, the first is the most important, is that a fetus in the womb is not a person, and a baby outside the womb is. Um, that is the core of the pro-abortion argument, that what, what, it, what it is in a woman's womb is not a baby. It becomes a baby when it exits the womb. That is a core argument, and you're going to hear me return to that several times today. It's one of the most important things that we have to open the Bible and see that that is not the case. Second, um, another argument of pro-abortion um, uh, arguers is that abortion should be allowed because nobody has the right to tell a woman what to do with her body. And the third argument is um, it is compassionate to prevent a child from being born into a less than ideal situation and parents-to-be can prevent that. Um, we're going to address all three of those today and we're going to do it from Scripture. But I'm going to tell you one way that I'm going to avoid doing that. And it may seem surprising to some of you, maybe not. Um, I'm not going to make any appeals to science today. Um, the reason I'm not going to do that is that pro-abortion um, arguers know that science gives no evidence that a fetus is not a baby. If you want to go beyond science to language, all fetus is is the Latin word for baby. Um, it, it literally means baby. Um, I could choose to waste my time by saying that an embryo's DNA is human DNA. Folks who argue for abortion know that. That's not new information for them. I could waste my time by setting up a projector and showing pictures of an embryo as it develops into what is obviously a human being. That's not new information for folks who argue for abortion. They know that. They've seen the pictures. Um, I could waste my time by explaining that there is nothing that physically changes about a baby in the, the short distance between inside the womb and outside the womb. There's nothing different about this child other than location. But they know that. So I, I'm not going to spend my time making these arguments and, and, and doing that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to open the Word of God and I'm going to see what it has to say about unborn children. So if you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's word, we're in Psalm 139, and we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and, my soul and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Father, I pray this morning that we would have compassion towards those who have made the decision to have an abortion, Lord, but that we would also see abortion for what it is. It's the destruction of a human being made in your image to give you glory. Um, Lord, help us to show mercy and grace, but to also fight unflinchingly and unfailingly for the lives of those who are not yet born. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is a Sunday that comes around once a year where there are going to be churches, um, conservative evangelical churches throughout our nation who are going to be addressing the topic of human life today. Um, and, and we are going to be one of those, proudly so. Um, I, I want us 
to, to approach what is um, by necessity a very emotional topic. It is a very difficult topic for a lot of people to speak about for, for various reasons, um, some of which I have outlined today. Um, but uh, I, I would hope the illustration at the front showed that um, it's sometimes we say, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, the first time I saw that done, it was a, it was a deer in headlights moment for me. Um, when you realize that there's an entire generation in that bucket. Um, doctors, lawyers, fathers, mothers, teachers, um, that, that it, it does impact us. And, and it, this is not a political discussion. This is something that the church has been concerned about since its uh, beginning, uh, that we, the church has historically been concerned with those who are the weakest among us. And those inevitably include uh, children, especially the unborn. So I want us to look at three truths about the unborn this morning from Psalm 139. And I want us to start in verse 13. And, and my layout this morning is going to be a little bit different. Um, you may not we may not necessarily be walking through verse by verse and only do one pass. We're going to take a couple of passes through, a different through some different verses and look at a couple of different things. But we are pretty much going to stay right here. So starting in verse 13, I want us to see that God is the one who forms a person in the womb. Therefore, he is worthy of glory. If you'll look at your handout, you'll notice that I put person in all capitals. Um, I'm going to revisit this at every single turn we take this morning. And I will stand unabashedly, um, without shame, arguing for the point that the child in the womb is a person. It has the rights of a person. It deserves the consideration of a person. It is not a, a lump of tissue. It is not a, a pre-human. It is not something that will become a human. It is a person from the moment of conception. And God is the one who forms a person in the womb. Therefore, he is worthy of glory. And the argument that we're addressing right now is that a fetus in the womb is not a person. A baby outside the womb is. The Bible shows us that that is just flat out not true. Let's look at how we can see God in these first few verses. Um, verse 13, the psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Uh, short grammar lesson, who's the subject of this sentence? God is. God is the one who is forming the inward parts of this person. God is the one who is covering this baby in his mother's womb. In verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. It is God's primary work in making this human being in the portion of this psalm that is lifted up as a reason God is deserving of glory. Um, I, I am, well, not watching because I can't see. I don't have x-ray vision. But I, I, I'm getting updates every so often from, hey, did you know our baby can most likely do this today? Did you know our baby looks like this today? Um, I, I really got a kick out of the couple weeks there where the baby had a tail. 
Um, I, I, I was enjoying that. That was fun. Um, and I'm, I'm driving Emily nuts because she'll come in the afternoon and I'll lean down. I'll, I'll lean to her belly and I'll go, hello. <laughs> hello. And she pops me on the back of the head. Baby can't hear yet. But this week she said, in the next few weeks, baby's ears will start working. And I'm like, yes. I can start talking to it now. And she's going to be so mad, but I'm going to keep doing it. Um, but God is the one doing this. That this is a, we refer to this as a natural process. The doctors and scientists will refer to this as a natural process. Scripture tells me otherwise. You watch a baby in fast motion develop and tell me there's not something supernatural about that. You watch that and tell me God's not involved. I can't even build a house out of Legos accurately. And God can take atoms and molecules and cells and he can make a person and do it in nine months. It takes us a year and a half to pick the leader of our country. And God can build a person in nine months. And think about this. It took God six days to create the universe. He spends nine months on a baby. Humanity is the peak of God's creation. God is the one that is forming the inward parts of this baby and covering this in his mother's womb. And, and, and David, who is the psalmist here, immediately upon recognizing this fact, breaks into song, praising God, saying, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. David looks in the mirror and he goes, this is ridiculous. Sometimes I look in the mirror and say that too for completely different reasons. But David looks in, in the mirror and says... This is amazing. Do you know that artists have to go to school and spend hours studying anatomy just so that they can draw a hand? How complex it is. David looks and he sees the way his body is formed, the way it works, and he goes, God, you are amazing. How do you even come up with this? Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows that very well. Uh, God is the one that this psalm is actually about. Yes, we're talking about babies, we're talking about infants, but God is the subject here. That every single infant, every single person, every single human is a testament to the glory, power, majesty, and just awesomeness of God. That we bear his image in the way nothing else in creation does. And that's true from the moment a child is conceived and that God is responsible for that child forming. And David says in verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now David, what are you talking about here? We don't grow babies like potatoes. They're not in the deepest parts of the earth like a vegetable or something. But you got to remember, this was written when there was no such thing as a sonogram. There was no such thing as, you know, an ultrasound where David can, can see this baby form. I would love to have read this psalm if he could see it. But the most he can say right now is, you formed me in a place where nobody else can see. You're the only one that can look at that. 
And I have yet to, to see in person one of these new 4D ultrasounds. I'm scared to death. I'm probably going to faint, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, but David can't see this, and he's saying, I can't see the process. I don't know everything that goes into it. But, but God just looking at, at the end result. What you do in secret is incredible. And do you know what? We can ultrasound it. We can 4D it. We can, I, I, who knows what else they're going to come up with. They can do all that. There is so much about the forming of a human being that they have no idea about. That's so complex. And yet God, God does this billions of times a year. Without even breaking a sweat. God is worthy of glory for doing that. The reason I spend all this time on God and, and Him getting His glory is one, because He deserves it, but two, to drive home the fact that's a baby's purpose. A baby's purpose is to give God glory. A toddler's purpose is to give God glory. An elementary school student's purpose is to give God glory. A teenager's purpose is to give, God's glo give God glory. A college student's purpose is to give God glory. A working man or a working woman, their purpose is to give God glory. A parent's purpose is to give God glory. A senior adult's purpose is to give God glory. Every single human being, from womb to tomb, their purpose is to give God glory. And it's worth paying attention to that. Listen to these other words that point you toward God just in these couple of verses. I will praise you, who God, fearfully and wonderfully made. If something is made, that means there must be a maker. Your works. If something is worked, that must mean there is a worker made in secret, skillfully wrought. That This is extolling God. But then listen to this in verse 14, 13 through 15. We've talked about God in here, but listen to all of these uh, personal pronouns in here. Yes, more grammar. I know you're excited. Verse 13, you formed my inward parts. Personal pronoun, covered me. You didn't cover the thing that would become me. You covered me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not a lump of tissue that would become the person that says, I. My frame, me, a person. I was made in secret personal pronouns that there is no there's not even a hint of a thought in this passage that what is being produced in the mother's womb is not a person the personhood of the unborn should be an a, we that, that is the high ground that we as Christians will never concede i will never 
enter into discussions about whether or not the unborn qualifies as a person. It is. The only reason I'm referring to it as it and not he or she is because I don't know the, 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 the gender of every unborn child. Let God do his work and we'll be able to tell. But it's already a man or it's already a woman. We just don't know which yet. Unborn children are people. And without calling any names, I thought one of the most telling moments in this last cycle was a particular politician referred to an unborn person as a child or as a person. And I wish you could have heard the pro-abortion lobby the next day. It wasn't about any other comments that were made. It was, how dare you refer to the product of conception as a child? That personifies them. That just gives ammunition to the anti-choice people. You want to know where the core of the argument is? Look at the reaction. Call the unborn a person? You'll, you'll stoke some anger. Because as soon as the unborn is a person, that person has rights. That person is worthy of their own consideration. If it's just tissue, doesn't matter. It's a person. And if it's a person, Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. Ladies, by the way, this is a generic use of the word man. That's not saying that men are created in God's image and women are not. Um, one of the ways that ancient languages worked is uh, if you had a mixed crowd, you would use the male word. Not to, just, not to ignore the women, but to just include the entire crowd. And you can see that at the end of this verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That people are made in the image of God. And then second, Genesis 2, 7. The... The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. That God exerts special care on the creation of humanity. And I read a silly argument the other day um, from someone who said, okay, so Genesis 2-7 tells us that life begins when breathing starts. So this, this is not... this." thing, whatever it is, is not alive until it breathes. When it breathes, then it's alive. You missed the entire point of that verse. God breathed the breath of life into Adam. It doesn't say he breathed the breath of life into Eve, and yet obviously she had it. The breath of life is something that all of us as humans possess. Because our great forefather Adam possessed it. God doesn't lean down and breathe the breath of life into every single one of our noses. He gave it to humanity, therefore humanity possesses it until we die and give it back. That God specifically forms humans. He makes them. And then finally in Genesis 9, 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God he made man. This is God saying humans are different than any other creature 
that I've made because they bear my image. Because they bear my image, their lives are worth more. Y'all, I got two cats, and I love them. But come July, Lord willing, there's going to be a baby. And if I've got to pick, you know, let's, let's protect the pastorium, please. I live there. But if, you know, some freak accident happens and lightning strikes the house and it catches on fire and I've got to choose between my cats and my baby, I'm sorry, Mary and Pippin. You guys ain't going to make it. I love you, but a human life is worth more. You know, if there are three firemen, then I'll say save the cat. But... Human lives are worth more. It's God who makes humanity. It's God who makes humanity. God makes humanity to bear His image and bring Him glory. A baby in the womb is a human. Therefore, to destroy a baby in the womb is to destroy a human God has made to bear His image and bring Him glory. And if you want to just make a note, Psalm 8 will explicitly tell you that it is the function of an infant to bring God glory. You can just write that down. We don't have to go there. But I just wanted to point that out, that God is the one who forms a person in the womb. Therefore, he is worthy of glory. Second, the body formed in the womb is that person's body and is intended to be used for God's glory. Did you hear what I said? The body formed in the womb is that person's body. What's the argument we're addressing here? That abortion should be allowed because nobody has the right to tell a woman what to do with her body. And do you know what? At its basis, I agree with that argument. Nobody should tell me what to do with my body. Nobody should tell a woman what to do with her body. The issue I raise is whether or not that baby in her womb is her body. That's the assumption of that argument. I agree with you that no one should tell a woman what to do with her body. What I disagree with you on is whether or not that baby in her womb is her body. Let's go back to verse 13. We're going to go back, we're going to loop back, and I want to point out some other specific things. Uh, and we may not spend as long here because we've already looked at these verses, but uh, how many of you in here believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God? I believe that. Okay, that means I believe grammar matters. There's a reason that translators spend so much time uh, trying to accurately reflect the original language. And the, the voice words are in is important. There are several possessives in verses 13, 14, 15, and even the beginning of 16. I want you to see them. Verse 13, my inward parts. Verse 14, my soul. Verse 15, my frame. Verse 16, my substance. Now go back to verse 13, my mother's womb. What belongs to who? The inward parts, the soul, the frame, and the substance all belong to the baby. The womb belongs to the mother. There are two people. Here. There are two separate bodies, and they belong to two separate people. 
I want to take kind of a different tack with this. And you'll see this on your handout. Look at Mark 12, verses 29 through 31. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. Now pause there for a second. Why did God say that murder was a capital offense? Because humanity is made in His image. We just looked at this in Genesis 9, right? So to love God means to reverence God's image. That one of the reasons God told us not to make idols is because we are incapable of producing anything that accurately images Him. There is one person that's allowed to make images of God, and that's God. Because He's the only one who can do it right. What is the image God chose to make? Us. And the ultimate image of God that was made was God himself taken on flesh. Jesus, who perfectly imaged God as the perfect, ultimate, uh, without imperfection human. That Jesus was fully God and fully man. That God created humanity to rule the world and his plan is not going to be derailed because a human is going to rule it for all eternity. His name is Jesus. Don't ever forget, don't fall into that danger of emphasizing the deity of Jesus and, and just tossing aside the humanity of Jesus. That that is integral to God's plan. Do you know that Jesus is eternally now a human? It's not like he quit being a human when he ascended. He's totally God, always has been, always will be. He's also totally man, and he always will be. That's the reason why when he rose, he was showing his scars. That's the reason why he said, hey, y'all have something to eat? I'll eat, I'll prove to you, I'm human. That humanity's purpose is to show God's glory. So, if this baby is a person, if this baby is a human, and this mother is a human, then they should relate to each other as much as able as two humans relate to each other. Is that right? Seems like it. So we need to look in the Bible and see how God says we are supposed to treat other human beings, since we've got two people here. First, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Well, that tells me that I need to reverence those who are made in God's image. Men, women, boys, girls, born and unborn. I need to reverence God's image by reverencing them. And then second, that, this is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In aborting a child, is that what you would want someone to do to you? If not, don't kill the baby. It's a separate person. And Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if this child is a separate person, 
I don't know why I'm pointing to myself. I will never have one there. If I do, then I'm going to write a book and be rich. If this child is a separate person, then that child deserves to be treated like a person. Love God, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. So if you wouldn't do it to your neighbor, don't do it to that child because that child has every bit of the God-given right as, as your neighbor who lives next door to you. It's a person. And then finally, and most provocatively, God has a life plan for the person formed in the womb, and its purpose is to bring him glory. And the argument we're addressing here is that it's compassionate to prevent a child from being born into a less than ideal situation, and parents-to-be can prevent that. Now, I'm going to challenge you with a little bit of critical thinking here for a second. Uh, uh, anytime someone makes this argument to me as to why you should be pro-abortion, I'm encouraged. And let me tell you why. Because this is the weakest pro-abortion argument. The reason it is the weakest argument is because the person making it on at least some level has determined that whatever this is in the womb, it deserves compassion. It deserves something. Which opens up the question, why does it deserve compassion? Why does it deserve anything? Could it be because it's a person? When you suggest to me that something deserves something that people get, the first question I'm going to ask you is, is it a person? And if you tell me no, I'm going to say, then why does it deserve anything? Well, we should just be kind. Oh, no, 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 no. You're borrowing from me now. <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking like a Christian, but you're not willing to go the whole way. Come with me the rest of the way down this road, and let's come to the end of this path that says, why, whatever this is, speaking, speaking like a person making the argument, in the womb, why it deserves compassion. Why it deserves love. Why it deserves... You are very aware when you make this argument that if you don't do something, this child has a life. This child has a future. This child's going to be something. And when you make that decision that, well, it's life's going to be too hard, now we're playing God. Do we know what kind of life this child's going to have? No. No, you don't. Well, this life's going to be tough. Might be. And that might produce a five-star general. You know? Not all of his songs are appropriate to mention from behind this pulpit. There's a guy named Johnny Cash one time. And he wrote a song called A Boy Named Sue. And I was riding through Athens with Emily not too long ago, and she's never heard of A Boy Named Sue. I, I mentioned the song, and she laughed at me. She was like, you kidding. I said, uh-uh, no, pull out my phone. And we played the song A Boy Named Sue. And she looked at me, and she said, this is the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And then we got to the end, and if you've heard the song, you know the story of the song. He finds his dad in one of these places that you'll probably never find any of. And he's ready to pop him a new one. And his dad says, good for you, son. Take me out if you want to, because I knew I wasn't going to be around, and I named you Sue because I wanted you to be tough. I knew you was going to have to fight and scrap every day of your life. 
And he goes, you know what? Yeah, I did. He won the fight. He's, he's tough. He had a hard life. He was mad his entire life. I'm using Johnny Cash as a sermon illustration. I didn't even plan this, Anthony. But he spent his entire life in the song angry that he had circumstances that were beyond his control. And what happens at the end? The circumstances made him tough, made him what they were. We have no idea what an unborn child is going to be. We have no idea what they're going to turn out to be. Look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. When you go back and you read Genesis 1, and you hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you know it's, it's hard to read that just with a complete blank slate of mind? Because when you walk outside, you see what? The earth. You see the trees and the clouds and the sun and the stars and you know what water sounds like. You know what water is. You know what grass is. You know what animals are. But if you go back and you read Genesis 1.1, it says the earth was without form. I imagine if the angels were watching this, they were like, what in his name is he doing? They have no idea what the world's going to look like. It's unformed. They don't know what the end product's going to be, and it ends up being incredible. What, you saw my substance when it was yet unformed. How do you, who sees something that's not yet formed? God does. The baby's constituent parts haven't even coalesced into anything yet. And what has God done? What does he do? And in your book, they were, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, some of you, this might make uncomfortable, and you might go, oh, well, now we're talking about predestination and choice, and what does that matter, and all this stuff. Can I just say, I, I don't want to get into that argument. Let's just read what God gave us. Okay? How all this works together, I don't know. But what I see in Psalm 139 is that God's got a book up there that all of my days were written down in before I had lived a single one of them. That the hairs on my head are numbered. The teeth that I have, even the extra ones in the back. God knows they're there. And do you know God has my days numbered too? God knew the day that I would, uh, I would come into being, and God knows the day that my body will go out of being. God knows the day that my body will come back into being. The unborn too. God knows their days, even when there are none of them. And listen to this. Here's more proof of it. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Who? Jeremiah. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, his tongue had not even formed yet in the womb. And God says, that's a prophet. How do you know, God? I made him. I made him to be one. That's what he is. 
That's not something he's going to become. That is Jeremiah. What about Galatians? Galatians 1. Oh, goodness, I did not even, I didn't even put the verse. It's Galatians 1. I think it's actually Galatians 1 5. Um, that Paul says, uh, but when it pleased God, who separated me from, or 115 maybe, um, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through grace, that God did the exact same thing with Paul. And if you're with us in Sunday nights um, in Acts, then you will know it took Paul a minute to get where God had designed for him to go. Yes, it's 115. It took Paul a minute to get there. But before Paul was even born, God had set him aside in his mother's womb and said, I'm calling him. He's going to be the instrument that takes the gospel to the Gentiles. And do you know what? Go on and read some of those later chapters of Acts. I think it's 22, might be 26, that Paul's giving a recount of his conversion. And when Jesus appeared to him, it says, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And he says, Saul, Saul, it's I, Jesus, whom you've been persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul was already feeling the pull. He just didn't want to go. How many unborn children have God laid his hand on and said, I'm going to do something with that one. 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 I had somebody ask a question one time that is completely and totally unprovable. But what would happen if one day we're standing in front of God and somebody asked God a question, God, why would you let something like AIDS destroy the millions of lives that it has on earth? And God said, well, I cured it in 1974, but you killed the doctor who was going to do it. What if? What about all the things that God has given us that we don't even know about? We're not the ones who determine whether or not a child has a quote-unquote good chance at life. To make statements like that is to play God. Uh, we have no idea who that child's going to be, and we have no idea what God's plans for that child are. Um, and I thought about this, and I'll close up with this. Um, think of probably one of the worst situations you can. But Josh, what if, what, you know, what if it's a young girl out of wedlock, um, poor economic situation, her reputation's going to be ruined, her life's, she's not ever going to have any hope. Anybody who would want to marry her is going to put her aside. She, w w wouldn't it make sense to maybe abort that baby so that she can have a hope of a normal life? Sure, if you want to abort Jesus. That's the exact situation he's born into. Girl, probably in her mid to late teens, poor, living in a rural backwoods area, betrothed to a man named Joseph, finds herself pregnant out of wedlock, obviously by the Holy Spirit, but you know that's happened once in the history of humanity. Joseph's willing to, willing to divorce her quietly so not to ruin her reputation. 
I mean, and whatever, I'll say it. If Mary got nervous and walked into Planned Parenthood today, I know what they'd tell her to do. But what was she carrying? Or rather, who was she carrying? She was carrying Jesus. Anybody on the outside would have looked at that life and said, there is no reason you should go through with this. Every, the deck is stacked against you, Mary. God says, that's just the way I want it. So, if you're here today, and you've had an abortion, or you know someone who has had an abortion, what I want you to hear is I don't want you to hear um, I am the scum of the earth. I am unfree. I, I don't want you to hear pastors saying that. I don't want you to hear this church saying that. And you listen to me, Stapleton folks. I love you, but I'm going to be real stern for a minute. If you know somebody who has had an abortion and, and you find in your heart you pushing them away, you ostracizing them, you treat, you treat them as though they're evil and they're broken, they are broken, but they're just as evil as the rest of us. Love them. Are you, are you planning on hating them to Jesus? That's not the way it works. Love them. If you're somebody who's had an abortion and you know somebody who's had an abortion, they need, they need forgiveness from Jesus, and they're probably still dealing with it themselves. Offer them the grace of Christ. Offer them your, your grace. Love them. Be compassionate to them. Don't fall for the common condemnation that, oh yeah, all you pro-lifers, you, you, care, you, care you care about kids when they're in the womb, but as soon as they get out of the womb, well, y'all deal with it. It's not our problem anymore. Let's not be that. Let's care for the mothers. Let's care for the unborn. Let's care for the infants that have been born. Be compassionate. And if you're lost... What you need to hear out of this tonight, you, you need to hear that you are made in the image of God, that you are valued, that you are loved, that your purpose is to bring God glory, and you're going to be unsatisfied in your purpose as a human being until you come to know Jesus Christ, until you begin to live your purpose, which is to bring God glory. You can come to God. You can confess your sin to Jesus and you can, you can join the family of God right now and you can be more alive than you've ever been. It's simple. Trust Christ. Confess your sin. He will forgive you. He will regenerate you and you get to start a new life today regardless of what sins in your past. That's available to you today. I'm going to pray. You need to do business with God. You can come up here. The altar is open. You can come talk to me. You got the guest card on the side of your bulletin. If you'd rather answer that way, catch me at the back door. If you need to meet Jesus today, you don't, don't leave without taking care of that. Um, I'm going to pray. Preston's going to lead us in a couple verses. You need to come. You come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, the men and women, boys and girls at Staple and Baptist Church. And I pray that we would be a church that values the young, the old, the born, the unborn, the, the whole, the broken, the, the, the rich, the poor, the, the, the humans of every um, shape, color, uh, everything. Lord, I, I, I pray that we would value all human life. Um, Lord, I pray if there's anybody in here that's lost today, you would draw them to yourself. 
um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, that you would save them and forgive them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.